0: It's time for Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3. Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station. With financial advisors Kevin Corhorn, Mike Bernard, and Josh Gregory.
1: Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett, and the Inspired Team at REMAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Thank you so much for listening today, folks. We are so glad to have you with us. This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michigan's news channel, the show that helps you take your next wise step in your financial life. My name is Mike Bernard, the host of the show and one of the advisors, along with fellow advisors Kevin Corhorn and Joshua Gregory.
2: That's right. Answering questions from fans of the show is our favorite part of the show, and we try to work it into every show, but this time it's... The full show. That's right. So we're going to be hitting uh, questions about retirement, how much house you can afford, estate planning, and much, much more all coming up this hour. All
1: right. And this is your show. Just like Josh said, we're hitting nothing but questions. If you have a question or want us to talk about something in particular, go to wisemoneyradio.com. You could submit that right there on the right. As well, you can call 574-222-2000. Leave your question, comment, or topic right there as well. And we'd love to hear from you. Lastly, join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter, at Wise Money Radio. You can get updates about the show, see pictures of us, check out previous episodes, answer question of the week, all that sort of stuff. And uh, and yeah, we'd invite you there to join the conversation throughout the week. So, Before we dive into questions, today is October 1st, and that might just seem like a regular day to everyone, but it actually is the change um, uh, or the start date for some changes with how people apply for financial aid. So I just want to bring up these changes again and then point you to an episode that we did a few months back. Actually, August 13th, we had special guest Andrea Helmuth on the show from Bethel College to talk about these big changes with FAFSA and some of the deadlines and all of that. So... Um, If you're looking for that episode, wanting to listen to it again, uh, it's season one, episode 48, called "Big Changes Coming to FAFSA This Fall with the Prior-Prior-Year Rule." Thank you. Still struggling with that acronym, huh? That's right. So, all right. So back in 2015, there was a new law that passed that changed two things with applying for financial aid through the FAFSA system. The first one is that it opens. Did I say it wrong again? No, but you're you're really
2: concentrating on it. I am. I am
1: first is that they opened the application up on October 1st. That is today, folks. It used to be that it didn't open until the 1st of January. So now, you get a head start. And a lot of the awards are first come, first serve. so folks, start working on that. The second change that they made is part of that prior, prior year issue. So here we go. You'd be filling out the FEFSA for the next school year, which is the 17-18 school year, but you're going to use your 2015 tax data. So it's the prior prior year. So it's two years back. Okay, so gone are the days where you're rushing to get your tax return done right before March 1st because you've got to get that information and plug it into the FAFSA. Now you're using the prior, prior year. So big changes, and uh, we want you guys to to be aware about it. So hopefully that makes sense. If you have any questions, reach out to us at Wise Money. And I just, again, want to point you back to that prior episode back uh, in August, August 13th. With more information. So, anything to add there, guys? I missed out.
2: You nailed no, it. Great. No, I think.
3: I mean, that's the big deal. No, no you didn't nail it. <laughs> Go no, ahead, Kevin, fix it. At the at the risk of being redundant again, I think if you. Well, the, the, here's the, th- the amazing thing to me is that people don't know what they're responsible for knowing. And, and most people don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And so you say, all right, well, I've got a senior this year, and we're trying to figure out college and everything else. Look, if you have a senior in high school who's going to college next fall, make sure you do the FAFSA. You do the FAFSA even if, there, if, if there's a chance that your senior doesn't go to school. And you're using the 2015 information, so this is easy. Well, this, this is not really out there in mainstream media. So
1: tell your kids... Tell your neighbors, tell everyone about this change because we don't want anyone to miss out on some financial aid goodies. College is way too expensive. So, All right, listener Tom from Edwardsburg. We're kicking off with his question. He's age 60, so here's what he says. I just turned 60 years old. My wife is the same age, and we're really getting focused on retirement. I'd like to retire at age 63, but I'm not sure how to know if we're actually ready. We're debt-free except our mortgage, which has about 55000 left due on it and we should have it paid off in about six years. I have been contributing 10% to my 401k and have about 300000 in there. That's a good balance. I also have a 401k with a previous employer worth about 100000 My wife has another 125000 saved up in an IRA from a previous employer, and she's worked off and on over the years as we've raised kids before and after. Uh, okay, so are we on track for retirement, and how would we know?
2: Yeah, well, that's... Absolutely the right question to be asking. And, you know, as always, our answer tries to point people towards what's the process for figuring out if you're you're on pace. And certainly just hearing kind of the high level explanation of what you've done so far to prepare for retirement, I, I'd give you a thumbs up enough to say, hey, good job, a great start here. Yeah. Whether or not you're going to be ready in three years, I don't know. Without, you know, getting in and crunching some numbers, what you need to do is be stress testing your retirement portfolio to determine whether or not you're ready. You, you've done great work so far, and it may even be better than a lot of your peers, but retirement's not graded on a curve, right? <laughs> it needs to be uh, scored based on whether you're ready for the retirement that you're envisioning. And uh, of course we don't know exactly uh, what income you're gonna have, what your Social Security gonna look like, um, how are you going to cover health insurance from age sixty-three to sixty-five is one of the first questions that jumped into my head. Yeah, um, you know that's a that's a two-year gap there where sixty-five is when you're eligible for Medicare. We've got uh, a show coming up about that very topic, but until then, you've got to have a solution for health insurance because you're vulnerable to some major expenses if you're trying to go without the right coverage. Most companies offer Cobra for up to 18 months if you retire early.
1: But what most people don't realize is when you're paying Cobra, you're paying the full cost. In fact, there are laws 102% of what the full cost is. And right now, if you've got health insurance through your employer, you're not paying the full cost because there are also laws in there that, uh, you know, the company your employer has to pay a certain percentage, so don't just think, "Well, I'm paying a hundred bucks a week right now for my health insurance." That's what it will be if when I'm on Cobra.
3: No, it's going to be something bigger than that. Yeah, and although this isn't part of this question, that can get people can get caught up in that when there's an age difference. Mm-hmm. So, if you want to retire at sixty-three, Tom, and your wife is sixty, you're going to hit Medicare before she does. So, you're still going to. So, even if you got to within eighteen months, and then you rode Cobra until you were sixty-five. If there's a difference in age, you still have to uh, have an awareness of that.
1: Now, the tricky thing is, previously, several years ago, you just didn't know. Then, okay, what will I do for coverage? Because of the Affordable Care Act, there will be coverage that you can buy. Uh, however, not all plans are created equal. You may not be able to keep your doctor, <laughs> uh, and it really could cost you through the nose. Uh, I've heard that term recently, so it could be it it could be an expensive thing. It's certainly, something to plan for. So I, I, I love it, Tom. You, you're, you just nailed it on the head with a bunch of details. A lot of people are in your same situation. But if you can believe me and believe us, there's still more details that we need to know and that you need to know to figure out if you're on track. I, I think the biggest one is how much do you need to spend? What's your lifestyle? Yep. I've seen people retire successfully with 150 grand in the bank. I've seen people fail with 2 million in the bank. It's all based on what you spend.
2: That's exactly right. if you're gonna spend a hundred grand a year in retirement, that's your hope, then maybe you're underfunded right now. yep. Uh, on the other hand, if you're very confident, you've got budgeting just nailed and you can hold it to four, thousand a month, maybe you're okay. Yep. it all depends on what lifestyle you're looking at.
3: yeah, and I'd say find a, a certified financial planner to help you with this, but you say, hey I'm not I'm not ready to do that or whatever uh, might prevent you from do that doing that, make a list. Start making some lists. One of the lists that I would, one of the things I put on my list is what are my goals prior to retirement? So you got three years, you got three years to retirement, six years on the mortgage. I would set a goal, Tom, I challenge you to say, hey, that mortgage is gone the day I get my brass ring and gold watch and (laughs) cake and whatever else I get uh, on my way out the door. So I I would have the mortgage gone. I would try to be as debt-free as I possibly can be. That's going to help you with your income plan. I would have my bucket list. What are the things I want to do with my wife when I retire? And then the nice thing is about having three years. If, you've, if you say, hey, I can live on just, uh, you know, four grand a month, do that for the next three years and see what it feels like. Oh, I love that! I love that advice.
2: Are we gonna do brass rings when we retire someday? From <laughs> I
1: don't the, know. Is that I don't like know what you get, man. L- so this is this is tricky. You know, Kevin will probably retire before the rest of us. Although I'm hoping to to, to beat him there. But well, we see. can retire together. So, well, Josh, we might need to be creative. So. All right. Great question, Tom. I know a lot of folks are in that same situation. We help people with retirement planning all the time. Go find a certified financial planner. If you don't have one, you're welcome to call us. We'd love to help. Um, so okay more questions coming up as well, as well as how much house can I afford who do you even ask that question of and that's a great question we've got from a listener coming up that and more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group 95.3 MNC
0: This is Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group on News Talk 953, Michigan's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station.
1: Hey folks, welcome back to Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group, right here on News Talk 953, Michigan's News Channel. My name is Mike. I've got Josh in Kevin with me in the studio. Special thanks to the attorneys at Ledoux, Kern, and Keene, and First State Bank for sponsoring the content of today's program. We are discussing questions today, various questions. The first one was from Tom. Is about how do you know if you're ready for retirement? And he left a lot of details. And I think a lot of folks are in that same situation. So thank you, Tom, for your listenership and for your question. If you have a question for the show, go to wisemoneyradio.com and you can also give us a call 574-222-2000. Lastly, check us out at Radio on Facebook. You'll see show prep with different resources as well as blog posts and content about the show. So. Next question is from Sarah. She's 34. This is a great question, Sarah. I love it. My husband and I have a small house and aggressively paid off our mortgage earlier this year. Way to go. Huge milestone at 34. That's great. Uh, The house is worth about $115,000. However, I have $45,000 of student loans at about a 7% interest rate. We opened up a home equity line of credit. Once we paid off our mortgage, just in case an emergency came up. Good idea. It's approved for $50,000, and we currently do not have a balance on it. Should we use our home equity line to pay off my student loans?
2: Man, I was all teed up to give this emphatic high five over the radio for paying off the house, and I'm going to downgrade it slightly to a fist bump here. Nice. Because as awesome as it is that you... Uh, You know, you got aggressive after the debt. My concern is that maybe you got aggressive after the wrong debt, Mm. right? You know, if if you're given the choice between paying extra on a low interest rate mortgage or pay extra on a high interest rate student loan, the student loan should get the attention every time, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's riskier debt just by nature because there are less protections for you as a borrower on a student loan. Uh, but also, it, you're just bleeding more interest uh, on that particular loan. You know what i found as we study human
1: behavior and finances? i found that there are, there's a certain uh, cloth that some people are cut from where they just hate their mortgage. Right. They, their their, their mortgage is just fear that I, I could lose my job at any time and I don't want to lose my house. But people have like disdain, disdain for their student loans. And I see a lot of people that just are so, I'm going to say lazy, and not not lazy in the bad sense, but there's just no urgency to pay those things off because it's like, gosh, can't believe I have these student loans. And I've seen people well into their fifties still with student loans just because they've never really had any urgency around it. But there is urgency when it comes to the house. So I'd agree with you, Josh. But I think there's a lot of be, a lot of behavioral issues that kind of. I don't know, fight and combat what you're suggesting.
2: Well, ironically, though, I mean, they, they got aggressive on paying off the house, but now they're right back in a situation when they're, you know, considering throwing this debt right back on a house. Okay, right?
3: so here we go. So Josh only gives you a fist bump, Sarah. I'm giving you two high fives and a thumbs up. Oh, I gotta Be- hear this. Because, <laughs> and, and so... <laughs> You do need to hear this. Listen Did you say a headbutt in there too? <laughs> uh, that was a little kick in the shins under the table there for you, Joshy. No, but here's the deal, Sarah. Congratulations, you've done a great thing. And what you've proven to yourself is that you can set a goal and achieve a goal. So you said, Hey, we got we got aggressive on the house and we paid the house off. Listen, now you need to take that same skill and that is a skill yeah. that's a skill most people don't possess you take that same skill and use it to deal with your student loans now you're, you're asking a good question what's the best way to deal with the student loan and Mike it, it really involves another question how long are you going to stay in the house because most folks don't stay very long in a house it's about five years yeah, statistically five years, yeah. now that might be interesting because you might say hey listen I've lived in this house Uh, for 20 years, or this, I lived in the house that I grew up in for 50 years, or whatever else. But statistically, most people move about every five years from a house. So if you say, hey, I'm going to be in this house for a while, there would be an advantage to going out and taking uh, advantage of the cheap money, because you could cut your interest rate on that debt in half if you did... Uh, I'm assuming if you use your home equity line, but for sure, if you did a mortgage and you say, well, how would I decide to do a cash out refinance versus doing a home equity line? And I say, well, um, what you're assured of what your interest rate is going to be for the next 15 or 30 years, if you do a fixed rate mortgage and right now we're in somewhere in the neighborhood of, you know, call it 3% for 15 years and three and a half for 30 ish.
1: That's why I'm glad there's three of us doing the show. Sometimes it's hard to fight over the microphone in airspace, but I actually wouldn't have even thought of the mortgage, but that's something to consider. I was just looking at the presenting issue because the point is a home equity line is a variable interest rate. Right, right. And you could lock in a mortgage at really historic low interest rates, and still have that same aggressiveness, assertiveness to pay this thing off as quickly as possible.
2: And that's where my mind went as well, that the, the mortgage I think would be the better way to go if in particular you're using a no closing cost mortgage. Because you're borrowing yeah. a relatively small dollar amount, 45 grand by mortgage standards is not a huge mortgage. And so you don't want tons and tons of closing costs to dilute that loan or to make that loan really feel more expensive than it should. And here's the thing, if you lock in for 15 years on uh, a, a fixed-rate mortgage and you keep making the same payment that you have been making on your student loans, you will get it paid off faster because the interest rate is smaller, Yeah. right? Yep. Y- you're not uh, bleeding as much interest in that type of scenario. I would go one step further because Sarah has demonstrated that they're goal-oriented and they're capable of managing their cash flow. And what if you kept on making the same mortgage payment on top of that? Because right now you have no mortgage, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't know your cash flow to, to see if that's the right thing to do, but it's something to consider. You could have those student loans gone real quick if you start doubling down on payments like that. I okay. like that.
1: Re- real quick, folks, Mike, Josh, and Kevin here. We're tackling a question from Sarah. She's debt-free on her house, but she's got forty five grand due on student loans at 7%. She's questioning whether she should take out a home equity line to pay that off. And we've said, well, what about a mortgage? I like that idea, but here's something I see in her question that I think we need to address as well. And she said, she opened up a home equity line when the mortgage was paid off for emergencies.
2: Oh, I did not
1: see that. So I would recommend Sarah that you first build up the right emergency fund before you do this, because if an emergency happens, and you've used the equity in your house, I don't care whether it's a home equity line or your mortgage, if you've used up that equity and now you're scrambling, you can't go re-borrow those student that student loan debt. That's right. So make sure, make sure, I love the idea of doing a 15-year mortgage but paying that higher amount to get that sucker paid off quickly, but I wouldn't do that until you've built up that emergency fund to the right level.
2: That's why they call him Michael Sherlock Bernard. <laughs> uh, he finds the things that everyone else misses. <laughs> Nice job, Mike. no
1: one has ever said that by the way. No. Okay. okay, next question comes from Steve, listener Steve. He's uh, from South Bend. age 66. Hey, I just turned 66 and I'm still happily working. All right, Steve, we need more people like you. I don't plan to retire until 70 and maybe even then still work part-time. Should I draw my social security now and save up that money or not draw it since I'm still working? What do you guys what's your take? I I there's no doubt in my mind. Steve, delay that thing. You can't, you can't draw that money right now. Um, it's, it's appealing because you've been paying into the government for so long, time to get some money out. No, be a little more patient. There's nothing out there that can earn an extra 8% interest rate like social security can right now, if you delay.
2: So, their most listeners right now are puzzled by what you just said because no, so what is clear. it? Ninety-seven percent of people take Social Security much earlier, right? Yeah, yep. uh, it's only three percent that take it at age seventy. So, what you said just sounds like crazy talk to most people. Sure, hey, Mike Sherlock Bernard, crazy talk. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, your Social Security, if you delay it, it grows about eight percent per year, and if you don't need the income right now. I'd let that thing grow at 8%. I mean, you're suggesting should I pile up the money and hopefully invest it and maybe it'll earn 8%. No, just go with the fixed return, the guaranteed return the government's going to give you.
3: Yeah, so the positive that Mike's talking about is the longer you delay, the higher your monthly payment will be from Social Security. So the downside to that is if you die at age 69 and 364 days, You've given up basically four years of Social Security payments that could be yours. Could. But it wouldn't
1: have mattered anyway because
3: you passed away.
2: It wouldn't. It was, you're not going to take that money with you. I mean, that's the because we get that argument all the time. A good point. And in fact, you've actually delayed it and may have increased your survivor benefit for your spouse as well. That's so right. if you're not around to. To, oh. to be here, you've made life easier.
3: So for we need to get into the her. wise part of Wise Money here. We're coming. We we're back.
2: coming back to that question from Steve. Also,
1: we've got a question from Ryan about how much house can he afford? Here next on Wise Money with Corhull Financial Group, 95.3 MNC.
0: This is Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station.
1: Hello, folks. Welcome back to Wise Money with Corehorn Financial Group right here on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. My name is Mike, joined with Josh and Kevin in the MNC studios this morning. Thank you to Bethel College Adult and Graduate Studies, as well as Diane Bennett with the Inspired team at Remax 100 for partnering with us on the Wise Money program Check out wisemoneyradio.com to listen to previous episodes, submit a question, and see funny pictures of Josh. I don't know, there's one on there of Josh that because he's lost all this weight, and so he, you even look so at my you, my head looks uh, bigger, just different, just looks different. So all right, thanks. And a uh, pre-soul patch as <laughs> well. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. That's right. So uh, listen, if you've missed anything, you can check out previous episodes. Also, check us out at Wise Money. Radio on Facebook for updates and all of that. So, all right, we are taking your questions today. That's it. We are in the middle of a great question from Steve. Spar- started a little controversy here in the studio. Yeah, the gloves I we have come off.
2: have a throwdown here.
1: All right, so Steve's <laughs> from South Bend, age 66. He says he's still happily working. Doesn't plan to retire until 70 and still might work part-time after that. Should I draw my Social Security now and just bank the money, save it up, or not draw it until I'm done working? And we talked about, well, if you delay it, it will grow at 8%. But let's actually flesh
3: that out a little bit. What does that even mean? Well, that means, Steve, if you were going to get a benefit of $1,000 a month from Social Security at age 66, if you drew your Social Security at age 62, which we know you didn't, but if you did, your monthly benefit would be about $700. Instead of 1000 Yep. So I retire at 62. I start drawing. I draw $700. I retire at 62, but don't draw. And I say, hey, I'm going to wait until I'm 66, my full retirement age. At 66, I draw $1,000 a month. Mm -hmm. I get to 66 and I say, life is so good. I don't need the money. I'm going to wait. So is there any advantage to me waiting? Yes, there is. Again, it's this, my benefit is going to grow at about 8% a month. So my... A year. uh, 8% a year. Yeah. Yep. That's what I said. So, So if... I, I'm drawing a thousand dollars a month at 66. I'm drawing thirteen hundred dollars a month at 70. That's right. And
1: if you are very patient and want to wait till 71, there's no benefit for yeah, that. No it's, advantage to waiting. It in stops that. Nope. growing at at 70. Rob, uh, we got a question actually, as we were bantering uh, during the break about, um, well, is there a vault out there with all of this money in it? No, no, it was raided by the government long ago. There's just moths in there. Just. IOUs, IOUs, that's it. But still, it's a promise. You've been paying, it's actually FICA tax that you've been paying. Your your employer's been paying payroll tax. So let's see, 6.2 plus 6.2, 12.4% of every dollar you make has gone into the Social Security fund that doesn't exist.
2: To pay people who are currently receiving their benefits. That's oh, biggest Ponzi! Great scheme Great Ponzi scheme.
1: But uh, but anyway, it just kind of solidifies this promise where the government is saying, "Thank you for paying in. We promise to pay you back at some point." But if you're patient, if you can structure your financial life to be patient, that check instead of being 700 at 62 can be 1300, almost
2: double. If you're patient and can wait until 70, that's a big difference. And patience comes at a cost, right? Because you're giving up that four years worth of collecting that. The 66-year-old version of you could have been collecting for four years and you've been sitting around waiting until 70. You're starting behind pace. But by collecting more each month, you will eventually catch up if you live long enough. Do you have that data? It it all depends on some of the assumptions. What are you going to do with the money? Are you going to grow it at a certain rate? And what do taxes and all that? There's a lot of assumptions. But basically, if you assume, if I can make it to my mid-80s, then I am better off waiting until age 70. See, and folks, I would even say it's it's sooner than that. If you can make it to
1: your early 80s, I think the break-even is there where you've... If you assume you're going to live past 80, then delaying Social Security is lo- over your lifetime is going to be a better option for you. But I don't have all those stats right in front of me today.
2: But the point is, we build all of our retirement projections based on the assumption that people are going to live out into their early 90s, potentially. Mm-hmm. Because statistically... of your peers are going to go that long, and we have to assume that you're in the top fifth of all of your peers as far as who's going to live a long time. That's what puts the most strain on your retirement, and it's one of the reasons why we take a conservative approach then to planning for retirement.
3: Yeah, and in order to not sound like an echo chamber, because I think the three of us would agree, Steve, if you can wait till 70, that's a great plan. Wait till 70. But in the spirit of being obtuse and disagreeable, I would say, hey, Steve, if you have any health concerns at all and you might not make it to 70, then there's no reason to not start drawing at 66. And you say, hey, what about contingencies? And we can plan all day for those things. But look, if you, if you want to take the money, but you don't want to pay taxes on it, just slip it into your uh, retirement plan at work if there is such a thing. Put, take your Social Security benefit, put in your retirement plan at work, don't pay taxes currently uh, on that money and uh, you've, you'll amass four years worth of social security payments uh, by the time you're 70.
1: There you go. Okay. Next question is from Ryan age 27. I'd like to buy a house in the next couple of years, but don't know how to figure out how much I can afford. Does the bank tell me that or can I calculate it on my own? I'm currently single. I make about 40 grand a year. Good question. A a lot of young folks just getting started Uh, in their career, finally making some decent money. Um, I have that big goal. Yeah, the American dream. I want to own a house. And, you know, speculate if you want, but there's been a lot of laws to help make that more achievable for folks. But especially on the wake of the financial crisis, this question of how much is a responsible house is a great question, Ryan.
2: Well, and the bank will definitely give you an upper limit on what they'll loan to you. But that doesn't mean it's the right answer for the amount that you should be borrowing, right? I mean, these bankers, this may seem questionable given the housing crisis that we got into, but by nature, they are supposed to be cautious lenders. And they set some parameters on how much they'll lend, and it's all based on your ability to make payments. And they'll look at things like uh, a comparison of the income you have coming in to the total debt payments that you make. And they don't want your debt payments to be more than 38% of your your paycheck, Yeah, the total paycheck, not the take-home pay. Right. They also don't want your actual mortgage payment to exceed 28% of your total paycheck. And that may seem like, oh good, they've got some guardrails for me to, to stick to, but it's it's not cautious enough. You need to be a cautious borrower, just like they're theoretically being a cautious lender. And I would argue that the advice I would give is make sure that your payment fits into one week's pay, take-home pay though. So this is a more conservative approach than what uh, the bank might be able to say to you. If you can make your payment each month off of one week's paycheck, then you should be able to handle what life throws at you as long as you have enough margin elsewhere in the budget to be able to cover all the added expenses that come with being a homeowner. Mm-hmm. you got to have the right emergency fund in place and, um, and have the right resources because something is going to surprise you and you don't get to turn to a landlord and say, hey, can you come fix this water heater? It's all on you, my friend.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, when the, the tree roots grow into the septic system, dad isn't fixing it this time, Ryan. This is, it's all on you. And when I think about rules of thumb, so I like that what you said, Joshua. Um, but when we're talking about the banks, though, you know they they're talking about how much will they lend you. I want you to think in terms of how much you can afford. And I've heard a rule of thumb that says one uh, one times your annual income. So if you make forty thousand dollars, when you get the the house magazines, go look at a forty thousand dollar house. That's where that's where your mind should be. Hmm. And and and. And on a forty thousand dollar house, depending on whether you did a fifteen or a thirty year mortgage, um, a, a forty year, a forty thousand dollar house at three and a half percent for thirty years, the payment's one hundred ninety bucks a month. And so, if you can afford one hundred ninety bucks plus your insurance, plus your taxes, plus the other things on one week's take home pay. Um, you're in good shape there.
1: Here's where I would challenge that logic though is Ryan said he's got a couple of years before he wants to buy a house. What if he just gets really aggressive and saves up a chunk of money and has a great down payment? We haven't talked about that. Buying your first house, where's the down payment coming from? That's a good point. I hate, yeah. I hate those programs from the government. Those are extremely risky. Uh, but I would encourage you, Ryan, set some goals here and get aggressive about saving up for a down payment. And yeah, I like the idea of one of your paychecks going towards the entire house cost. So I wouldn't just include the mortgage there. I'd include utilities and all of that
2: sort of stuff. Um, but the other so we thing just is... keep getting more conservative here, we, though. We he do, is going to be living in a box. No. But, <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but that's the other thing is I would also make sure that you're not doing this while also avoiding some of the other financial goals. If you can only make this work by not saving for retirement or other things that are important, then you might be making the wrong choice. So... Great question though, Ryan. We've got more questions coming up. Next one is from Beth about taking Social Security from a uh, from an individual she divorced a few years ago. So that and more here on Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group, Newstalk 95.3, Michigan's News Channel.
0: This is Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel, your breaking news and weather station.
1: Wise Money is brought to you by the attorneys at Ledoux, Curran, and Keene, First State Bank, Diane Bennett and the Inspired Team at RE-MAX 100, and Bethel College's Adult and Graduate Studies Program. Hey folks, welcome back to Wise Money with Corhorn Financial Group on Newstalk 95.3, Michiana's News Channel. My name's Mike. I'm with Josh and Kevin in the MNC studio. We're so glad to have you with us. This show has been all about you. We're talking about your questions, whatever topics you want to talk about. If you're listening right now and you say, hey, I've got a question, or I wish you guys would talk about this, go to wisemoneyradio.com, submit that question. You can do so right there on the right. It comes right to me, right to my email. So I will get it and put it on an upcoming show. As well, if you're driving, you can give us a call. 574-222-2000. Lastly... We are continuing the conversation about WISE Financial Principles all throughout the week. Check us out at WISE Money Radio on Facebook and Twitter. And you can see recent blog posts, get updates about uh, each show, as well as resources that we talk about, charts and data and all of that from each show as well. So, All right, we're picking things back up with a question from Beth from Mishawaka. She is age 62. Here's what she says. I'm 62 and I'm looking to retire soon, and I'm wondering about when to draw my Social Security. My husband and I divorced about 10 years ago. I'm so sorry to hear that and I don't have much saved for retirement, which makes drawing social security that much more important for my retirement plan to work. Can you help me understand what I need to know in order to draw social security the best way possible? Great question, Beth. And I'm sorry to hear about uh, what you've gone through with your husband. I know that when that happens financially, there is a lot of carnage and you just, your financial life gets turned upside down my first advice, I'm not going to take the bait just yet about what to do with social security. I'm going to tell you if you're 62 and it's that important because you don't have much saved, I would first ask you to keep working. Yep. You don't need to retire soon.
2: Well, and, we don't know what her definition of soon is. Well, that's okay. true. And there could be health issues and other things. But if,
1: if, you, if you're able to continue to work and the company's not forcing you out, your job's not going away, or your health is, is, is still good, I would tell you, just wait. Wait until your full retirement age. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Wait until your full retirement age, if not even age 70. That is a terribly unpopular thing to say, but we're not face to face. So I have no problem telling you that over the radio. I'm just kidding. No, I just think,
2: well, she uh, asked what is the best way, right? Yeah,
1: Financially, that makes a ton of sense because we were already talking about delay. If you can be patient with your, with your social security and not draw it right away, it can grow for you. The amount of income you get from your social security every month will grow until you reach age 70. All right last year 2015 the government made some big some of the biggest changes to social security that they've ever made and um, one of them was to get rid of one of the loopholes called uh, uh, restricted application. Beth you're 62. If you were age 62 on 1-1 of 2016 then you still may be able to file a restricted application to file just receive half of the benefits of your ex-husband. And that would allow your benefit to continue to grow until age 70. So if you can delay until your full retirement age, do not do this if you're not yet full retirement age. But if you can, wait until your full retirement age, as long as your ex-husband's at least 62 at that time, you can draw a restricted application just on half of his, Yours would continue to grow until 70 and switch over. That loophole has been closed, but if you were age 62 on or before uh, 1-1 of 2016, it's still available to you.
2: Yeah, so this may be a strategy for some of our other listeners who are divorced and uh, maybe are already age 66. Uh, You have the ability to draw half of that ex-spouse's benefit and leave yours untouched to keep on accumulating, keep on growing, which is something we've been uh, pushing most people to do on this show for quite a while. Yep.
1: I call a certified
2: financial planner,
1: call a social security office, but I, I would first say work with a financial planner, certified financial planner, not just about social security, but just about your entire financial life. It really sounds like, I know we hit this drum a lot, but Beth, it really sounds like you're in need of a, of a financial plan from the divorce. Your financial life has turned upside down a lot of changes work with an objective, unbiased third party to help you figure that out, help you make the best choices possible. So, all right. Next question from John from Milwaukee. He's age 39. What do I need to do to set up a will? My wife and I have three young kids, but not much saved in the bank. Do I need a will? I have a retirement plan started at work and there's probably about 15 grand in it.
2: Well, John, you you definitely sound like a candidate for not just a will, but I, I would expand the thought to be a basic estate plan. Mm-hmm. You don't need anything real, real elaborate, but and a will is often thought of as kind of the cornerstone of a, a good basic estate plan. it's the It's the document that you get to decide who would take care of the kids if both you and your wife passed away unexpectedly, God forbid.
1: That's the qualifier to me. I mean, he mentions in his question, well, we've got about 15 grand saved, but not much else other than that, as if the will is important if you've got a lot of money. Well, it can be, but it is is critically important (laughs) (laughs) if you've got minor kids, because the will lists who the guardian would be for those kids.
2: Yep. So the, the will also is an opportunity for you to establish something known as a testamentary trust, which is... Uh, basically a tool where you're setting up the the game plan and the rule book for how the money will be managed for the kids until they're old enough to take over the management of the dollars themselves. And that could be years down the road, and, and you get to set the age even for when the dollars will be able to be accessible to the kids and, and so on. So a will is absolutely important when you have young kids, but it's really only one of four documents that you really want to have in place on a basic estate plan,
3: yeah. And I'm before I hit those four documents, I just want to back up for a second. And a lot of times, people think, "Hey, I don't have a lot of money, so based on the idea that I don't have a lot of money, I don't know if I need a will." Mm-hmm. And you think when you think about estate planning, estate planning is really done to facilitate what what happens at the second death. But there's no way to know, John, that you're not going to die in a situation where there's a wrongful uh, death suit and hmm. and your estate might uh, be awarded five million dollars wow. from a wrongful death good point yeah. I rarely think about that it's so rare but that's yeah. a great point so this is so when you think of estate planning think about fixing the roof while the sun's shining and I would tell you if you're 18 from the time you're 18 on you want to have a will I think about the, the kids that are going off to school and having the So so let's talk about those documents. You want to have a will. You want to have a a general durable power of attorney. That's who can step in and make financial decisions on your behalf in the event that you're unable to. You can have that effective immediately between my wife and I. She can do whatever I can do financially. She can do. She could be out there. Yes. (laughs) And she might be out there doing that right now. Uh, Who knows? Or you could have it set at your incapacitation. But that's, hey, who can transact things financially on my behalf? And then you want to have a um, basically a medical power of attorney. Who can make medical decisions on my behalf if I'm unwilling or unable to? And that's where, I, again, you're thinking about the kids going off to college. As a parent, I'd want to make sure that that's in place because you're sending an adult off to college, and I've heard the, the, the hair-raising stories. The parent gets a, the phone call. The kid's in the hospital and they're they're over the phone. There's nothing that the the hospital will do or take instructions from the parents. So they're rushing and driving down. So um, the healthcare power attorney and then the living will, which says, listen, if I'm not expected to live, either take all extraordinary measures that you possibly can to keep me alive, including uh, a feeding tube and a ventilator and all these other things, or take no uh, no measures. And there's a third choice too, which is. Let the people that I nominate make that decision. I would encourage you, if you know what the answer is, let everyone know that. And I I personally um, have told all the people in my family exactly I've expressed my wishes so there won't be anyone changing their mind when the time comes.
2: Well, and that presumes that you and your wife have taken the time to actually have these conversations that... You're both on the same page as far as who would take care of the kids and who is going to look after the money and, and so on. So uh, th- that really is your first step is to begin having these conversations about roles And once you have that figured out, that's the time to get the attorney involved. And their job will be to actually draft the documents and help get this basic estate plan in place for you.
1: Our favorite attorneys are at Ladue, Kern & Keene. They're sponsor of the show, but really we we work with them all the time. And Mark Criniti over there has served uh, my household and a lot of folks that we work with. Um, There is a temptation to avoid the attorney and just do it yourself. Guys, there's too much at stake here. Uh, I would not go online and look for the cheap solution because when you add up all the pieces that you need, it's not that cheap anyway. So yeah, great, don't don't
3: great know great question. don't know the cost of everything and the value of nothing. That's right. So great question. Uh, once again, folks,
1: want to point you to wisemoneyradio.com or wise at wise money on Facebook. Check out more information on the show. On behalf of Josh Gregory, myself, and Kevin Torhorn, thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next Saturday for Wise Money with Torhorn Financial Group, right here on News Talk 953, Michigan's news channel.